Paul made me a little nervous. I got up and I was looking to make sure nobody else was going to try to steal the spotlight here. I'm going to have to thank Jared multiple times. One, for uh, his prayer several weeks ago, which actually got me to thinking about this uh, lesson topic. And then again for today's prayer, because not only did he pray for me, he also mentioned my subject title several times. Uh, and that is submission. That's what I want to look at this evening. Um, initially, in Jared's prayer several weeks ago, what got me to thinking about it was he made the uh, statement in his prayer that said, Lord, help us learn to submit to one another. And that's how I began to start out my study this evening. As I kind of got going, I thought it would be a good idea to probably shift the focus a little bit more towards a general view of submission. Because as a Christian, we submit in many different areas in our life. We're told to submit to God. Uh, when you think about our submission outside of uh, God, we can think of passages that tell us uh, or tell wives to submit to their husbands. Obviously, there's the passages that tell us to submit to one another. Um, we're told to submit to the government, which we heard on about a week and a half or so ago. And I think these are all important uh, for us to look at and to um, delve into a little bit more. So to begin, how, how much do you really know of submission? When you were trying, trying to come up with a definition for it, how would you define it? If you will, go ahead and turn to James 4 and verse 7 if you wish to turn along. Um, I'll try to give time to, for everyone to turn to these passages. James 4 and verse 7 starts out by saying, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you were to look at this uh, definition of submission in the Strong's Dictionary, you'll find it's Strong's word 5 uh, G5293. The, uh, the definition says to be obedient, to subdue unto, which we'll talk about here in a minute, or be in subjection. And that kind of makes sense. If you probably had to come up with a definition, that might be close to what most people would come up with. Um, but one part of that definition I really want to look into is the subdue unto part. I did a little bit more digging. Um, subdue is found in the Bible in a couple of different ways. It's found as subdue and it's found as in subjection or in subject to. But one part of that definition is conquer, bring into bondage. Now we're told as Christians to submit, but if you think about these words, bondage, to be conquered, to be subdued, they're not necessarily words we would probably attach with a positive connotation. We'd probably look at these and from a human nature standpoint, we look at them and say, I don't necessarily want that. I want to be free. But following God's will means giving ourselves up to those things, to God's cause, especially in this particular passage. So when we submit to God, we do those things that don't necessarily appeal to our nature. Now, knowing the definition is one thing, but when we live out that definition of submission, you might see a little bit of a difference. I think in general, as we look at, we live out the definition of submission as obedience, but not the complete uh, definition of obedience. We look at it as we do what we're supposed to, and that's it. 
It's on a surface level, we simply do the action. But that's not even complete obedience. Um, True obedience is when we give our whole selves to God. Not in the sense that everything we're asked to do and submit to are things we like. We can find several instances where Christ did things that he would not necessarily like to do, but he did it anyway. Um, So my goal on this lesson is to maybe focus in a little bit more on these general um, ways that we're supposed to submit in our lives. Um, And I want to look at it through the lens of this definition that we read. So what I want to start out with is how we submit as a body, because we have two different areas that we uh, submit in. We submit as the body, as the body of Christ, as the church, and we submit as individuals. First off, as a body, we submit to God. Romans 7 and verse 4, if you would uh, turn over to that passage. Romans 7 and verse 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to one another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. When we join the body of, uh, of the church, Christ's body, we become dead to the law uh, by, Christ, by Christ's body. But what's the purpose? It's so that we can be joined together and that we can be fruitful in our service. A lot of times we'll get up here and we'll talk about how amazing it is to be a part of Christ's body, and it is. But what good is it if we're not fulfilling the purpose that it was made to uh, fulfill? There are certain requirements and there are certain standards that we're expected to meet um, when we join that body. The very beginning of that standard is to submit to God's will, to his commandments, and to be about the business that he wants us to be doing. So the very foundation block of submission is understanding, as a body, Christ is the head. Romans 12 and verse 5, just a few chapters over. Romans 12 verse 5, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Once again, this body that we're a part of is in Christ, and we are all members together. God put this institution of, uh, of the church and the body uh, that is included therein, um, he put this in place through uh, the plan of salvation. There's a lot of emphasis that the scripture puts on us being together in a body. Um, and one that we'll read here in a bit, there's mul- multiple letters that were written to the New Testament churches that gave reminders for this is a body. We all need to work within the body. We all need to work together. And I think that was intentional, probably because that was something they needed to be reminded of. And I think that's something that we need to be reminded of, too. I think as humans, we tend to uh, compartmentalize all of uh, the areas of our lives. Um, And we do that, I think, to give ourselves this false sense of control. And if we're not careful, that carries over into our Christian lives and our idea of the, the body of Christ, too. That if we can just keep this part separate from everybody else, like I can give them this part, but I don't want to give them everything, then that gives us this false sense of control. And it's not submitting into the body at all. 
In Colossians 1 and verse 18, we see another uh, example where they reminded the New Testament churches of this fact. Colossians 1 and verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I keep rehashing this point because it's imperative that we understand this to understand how we submit in the other areas of our lives. It's the foundation of it all. We all operate, or at least we should, in theory, cohesively as a unit within the body towards this one goal. But it's all with Christ as the head. It's with all of us understanding and submitting to that fact. We can't have the body without the head. Preeminence here means first in rank. That means that the body of the, uh, of the church was established so that he could have that first, that first in rank. He did all things for us so that this design could be instituted. And the only way we get what we need out of it is through submission into the body. Not thinking that we can pull rank um, or saying that we don't need this certain part of the body, we don't need this group of people, or we don't need this person. Um, but so that we could work together. If you think about it, this um, analogy of the body of Christ being like a human body is kind of a beautiful thing. Um, the, body, the human body is so intricate. All the organs work together. You have the nervous system. You have all these vital organs. You have the brain, the heart, the lungs. But it's very intentional that he references the head. Because if you think about it, what does the head contain? It contains the brain. That's the one. If you remove the brain, everything else stops functioning immediately. Not, I'm not just talking about when one part of the brain dies. If you remove the whole brain, everything else stops. If you remove or if another part of your body shut down, other parts compensate at least for a little bit. But the head, it falls apart immediately. And so to carry that over, without the head, without Christ as the head of the church, the church fails. Ephesians 1, verse 17 through 23 Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 23. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto, the, unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The first few verses of this passage um, mention and reiterate the glory of God and the glory and the power that he has, that he put Christ at his right hand, at the head. He gave him dominion over the church and he's above all things. But if we look at verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I've never really paid attention to that. The fullness here means complete. We complete Christ and we are given 
the command to be the light, a light to all those around us. So that the body is a part of, his, uh, of Christ in order for that body to do God's will. The body needs to be on the same page and the same mission in completing God's will for us. Now we also, we submit to God as a church and part of that submission to God is submitting to the offices that were put in place, which means the elders. So if we're submitting ourselves to God and we have the elders who are part of the congregation, they're submitting to God themselves. We also should, should submit to them and their authority. Hebrews 13 verse 17 Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. We submit to the, uh, to the elders because of the position they hold. As long as they are doing God's will, we don't have a reason to defy them or to go against them. And if you think about the responsibility that they take on, they don't just take on the responsibility for their own soul and for the families that you know, they lead, but they take on responsibility for the whole congregation. Their whole duty is to submit to God and then to guide and to watch over us. When the congregation has a need, they can help fill it. When we as individuals need or have to have guidance or whatever that we need, we can come to them with our needs and they can fill those as best they can. And I think we can all agree that if we look at the group of elders that we have, they do an excellent job of overseeing our congregation. Time and time again, people get up here and thank them for their service. And the, you think about every time that they get up here and they tell us of a decision that they make, it's always that they're doing their best to glorify God and make decisions that will help the congregation to glorify God. And we can disagree about the details. We can disagree about some little things um, that they may decide. Or we may not understand what, why they came to that decision. But that doesn't mean or give us reign to not submit to what they decide. I think sometimes we like to live our life like it's an optional submission. If there's something we don't like or something that we don't prefer to do, um, and especially in areas that we're supposed to be submissive in, then we don't necessarily like to do it. But we never submit on that condition. That's never been part of the, the deal. We are always told to submit, and that's it. Part of the definition of submission in Strong's contains the word obey. And this is actually an instance where when the obey is used in this passage that it's not of the same word. Uh, obey here in this passage means to have confidence in, to agree with, and to rely. We need to rely on our elders. We need to rely on them that they'll lead us and that they will guide us. And we need to make that job as easy for them as possible. Let's look over in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The elders of any congregation take on a great weight in their service. They feed and they watch over the flock for one. And they do this all willingly. Um, the other part of it here is that they say that they don't take this position so that they can hold it over the congregation. That they don't do it as a position of dominance. They do it to be examples. And ultimately they are examples to us. They are the people in the congregation we should be able to look to. Um, not only from a b- biblical knowledge standpoint, but from ways that we can practically and effectively apply God's word in our lives. So we need to accept the authority that they've been given and follow the lead and the example that they have set out for us. Now moving on from as a whole, as a body of Christ, we also submit to God as individuals. Um, And that's the only way that the whole works. If we have a lot of individuals that aren't committing themselves or submitting themselves to God in the first place, then how can the body work together cohesively? I'd like to go back to James 4 and verse 7. And it says, once again, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The reason for the word therefore being placed here, which means because of this, the first six verses are talking about all the problems that the early churches were having. That they were having problems with lust, they were having problems with covetousness, uh, adultery, murder. Um, And it even talks about that when they prayed, they even did so wickedly because when they were praying to God, asking for these things, their desire was to fulfill their lust and to use it for their uh, selfish, their gain. So when we read verse 7, it says, because of all of these issues, or therefore, we need to submit to God. By doing that, you will be resisting the devil and all the sinful desires that they were experiencing if we take heed. I think that's something we would probably all want. We all like the idea of the devil fleeing from us. But that involves submitting to God. That involves us showing Satan um, that we've committed to what uh, God's will is and what he wants us to be doing. And that we're committed to glorifying God. And that doesn't mean um, that we will ever be free from temptation, but that we will be better equipped to avoid the trap Satan sets for us. Over in uh, Romans 12 again, this time in verse 2. Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is a scripture that we read a lot, especially up in the, uh, the pulpit. But I want to take a, another look at it here tonight. Don't conform to the world. And be transformed. Those were kind of the two main thoughts of this passage. All those commands fall under submission to God. And if we think about it, the only way that we can achieve that renewal of our mind and that transformation that's talked about here is through the action of submitting to God. We have to accept that God's will is higher than ours and put away all the things that keep us from conforming to his will. And by refocusing on those couple of facts that will allow us to prove God's will in our own lives. We can't be divided and we can't be split between these two opposing forces. 
You know, we're told not to conform to this world so that because that separates us from the world and puts us with God. If we're still hanging on to the world and want to be conformed a little bit, it doesn't work out that way. We can't have that transformation if we choose to do that. Romans 8 and verse 7. Romans 8 and verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Part of understanding of how to submit to God and His will is understanding what this verse is saying. Um, If you look in a different translation of the ESV, for instance, it states that the carnal mind is hostile to God. It is everything that God isn't. So it makes sense if we get caught up in the worldly things, we cannot be practicing uh, godly submission. And if you want to look at this verse in another way, um, or at least examine it a little differently, to have a carnal mind is, in a way, a hostile act to God. It's being defiant to Him. If we are in this mindset, it's impossible to be subject, as we're told to do when we submit. John 14, uh, verse 15, tells us that if, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Here's probably the most simple, easy to understand uh, command that we've ever been given. If ye love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And it's simple in theory because if we do love God and that's what we want to do, we want to keep his commandments. And To do that, we have to put his will above ours, we have to submit, and we're going to put him above us. We're going to see him as the ultimate power that he is. And we like to come up with areas in this area, uh, or come up with excuses in this area too. But once again, we don't have an exception. We're not told to keep my commandments unless this comes up, or keep my commandments unless it's about this. We're only told, if you love me, keep my commandments. We don't need to overcomplicate what the scripture tries to make so simple for us. We also as individuals have to submit to our government. Um, And Jacob talked about this about a week and a half ago. And I'm not going to rehash everything that he went on uh, about. But I do want to kind of refresh some of those things and add on a little bit to some of the things that he said. Um, Let's look over in 1 Peter 2. Verses 13 through 16. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 16. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. First off, we're told to submit to every ordinance for the Lord's sake. Then, if we look at verse 16, it says, we're not to use our freedoms as a cloak of evil. I think we can look at the world around us and see that that's a lot of what, we, of what happens today. We're given in this country a lot of freedoms and a lot of liberties, and they're nice to have. But a lot of times people hide behind those. Um, even people that say that they're Christians, 
um, to do things that we probably shouldn't um, shouldn't do. We have all these rights that other countries aren't afforded, and we're constantly thanking, uh, thankful for, to God in prayer for these rights. Um, but we get it twisted in our head that these rights and these freedoms that we are given are from God, and that's not the case. We may be in this country be allowed to protest. We may be allowed to bear arms. We may be allowed to vote. And we have all these rights. But where does it say in the Bible that we're guaranteed to have these as Christians? We aren't given those in Scripture. We aren't given or told that you are guaranteed the right to vote, that you're guaranteed that you're going to be able to own a gun, or that you're guaranteed to do all these things that we have. We're not even guaranteed a freedom of religion. And I think it's good that we're thankful for these and it's good that we keep them in the proper perspective. But we don't need these to be Christians. If we had these all taken away, that doesn't affect our ability to glorify God. Sure, it might make it a little bit more inconvenient. Maybe a little bit more scary, I guess, if you will. Um, but it doesn't stop us from doing the things God asks us, asks us to do. We often hear people talking about, we will have our rights taken away. We have to do everything that we can to stop them. But let's think about the brethren in, in, uh, in India, just for an example, that for years they've not had these rights, but it's never stopped them. And hopefully they'll continue that on for years to come. We do have a lot of liberties, um, but instead of getting caught up in whether they will be taken away, why don't we use some of those for good while we do have them? Use our freedoms to spread God's word uninhibited. Or better yet, since so many people are caught up in a national pride of, this is America, nobody has the right to take this away from me. Why don't we stop focusing on those freedoms in that lens and start focusing them more in a godly way. If they ever do get stripped from us, we continue in God's word and we continue in his will anyway. Romans 13 and verses 1 through 7. Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause ye pay tribute ye also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. These positions of power were put in place by God. And what this passage tells us is to respect those positions, to follow what they say, 
And if you think about the time that these two passages were written, it was in a time where the government was a lot more hostile to Christianity. And yet we still see Paul and Peter telling us to submit those powers. They didn't protest. They went about their business and served God the way that they were supposed to, through it all. And thinking back to our national pride today, it's hard to follow the lead because, yes, we have the president, but we have all these other positions of power that are pulling us in all different directions. We have the president make a decision, but then right after the decision is made, you can turn on the news and the Democrats are upset about this or the Republicans are upset about this. And oh, what a silly decision that was. And it happens all the time. But we need to be careful that we respect the position of power the president holds, that we also respect the position of authority that the positions underneath him have as well. But we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in respecting the parties. What I mean by that is a lot of times when a president is elected, you know, for instance, we'll just take this last presidency, Donald Trump. One of the big things that happened after that was not my president. And it wasn't just because that he was a Republican. It was actually probably because of how vulgar of a man he seemed to be, according to what we see in the news. But that's not our job to be the to submit just because someone's a Republican or a Democrat. We're told to submit to the powers that be. And whether they are Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, it doesn't matter what they are, we're still supposed to submit. All that does is if we kind of get caught up in all of these things the world wants to get caught up in, that just feeds the division that we already experience today. And being vocal about it one way or the other, what good does that really even do? Let's also keep this all in perspective. We respect these positions of power, but that's what God, because that's what God wants us to do. But we don't become a fanatic. We don't say, oh, he told, we're told to submit to the government, so we need to become fanatics about it. We need to get involved in everything. But that's not our responsibility. God is the highest power, and we answer to him ultimately. So yes, we submit to the government, but we continue doing what we're supposed to for God. Now let's consider submission to our fellow man. Um, Ephesians 5 verses 19 through 21 is where I want to start out talking about this. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is another common passage that we use. And I think a lot of times I focus more on the first few verses rather than the last one. The first two are important to answering at least part of the question of what it means to submit to one another. And as this passage states, part of that submission is building one another up. We address each other in these spiritual, uh, these spiritual things and, we, and in productive things. But part of that building up involves us putting ourselves lower. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 4.
Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We need to have humility in our lives, in all things, but especially in our submission to others, and especially how we see each other in the body of Christ. We're never going to look at others better than ourselves if we can't put ourselves lower than somebody else. And we can't put ourselves lower than our brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of that is taking interest in one another. Taking an interest is something um, I'm probably not the best at. Um, some people really are good at it. I'm, I'm really not. Because most of the time in my day-to-day conversations, the people I talk with, they don't usually have the same profession as me. They don't usually have the same hobbies. Um, and those are two things that we look to as what builds friendships out in the world. We have these things in common. And I get so stuck in these worldly um, interests that I have that I forget that we have, we all have one thing in common. And why can't we all start out with that at least, with the thing that we're both interested in? And that's Jesus Christ. If I put my worldly interests aside and whatever else that's keeping a divide between me and the rest of the body, and I focus on that, I would say that's a pretty solid building block. But that's still not the whole answer because the other part of humility within the body is that we have to know each other. Romans 12 verses 9 through 11. Romans 12 verses 9 through 11. Love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Just think in your own life, how many people do you prefer to be around that you don't know or that you don't know well? The people that you spend the most of your time with are people that you know the most and that you're most comfortable with. And it takes time and it takes effort to get to that point. So when we look at this passage, we can't love one another like we're supposed to um, if that love isn't genuine. And the only way that we can get to that genuine brotherly love that we're supposed to have um, is to know one another, to get to know one another. We have to make the effort to one another to strengthen our bond to better achieve the submission we have or that we're supposed to have with one another. Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, uh, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Here's the other part of the the answer um, to what it means to submit to one, one another. Once again, we see that we build each other up, but we also see that we're to forgive one another. 
to love one another, to teach one another, and to correct one another. And if you want to get more specific, how we correct one another is through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But do we do that? Um, can you honestly look at your own life and say that these are all the things that you do in your dealings um, inside the body of Christ? One thing I thought about when I was putting the study together is, especially on this point, is how easy it is for me to excuse myself of something and how easy it is for me to build myself up in certain situations. But if I'm looking at it, it's, it's not very easy for me to do that for everybody, for everybody else. And it doesn't matter that they're in the church. I don't always, if we come to a situation where I don't do something that I know I should have done, I can come up with an excuse like, oh, I didn't do that because I had this going on, or I wanted to do this instead, whatever the case may be. But if another person weren't to do the exact same thing I didn't, I'm very quick to say, oh, they should have done that. They fell short of that. I don't find it as easy to excuse them. I don't find it as easy to build them up either. We are to look at each other as better than ourselves. That's what the scriptures tell us. But we all, I think, struggle with putting ourselves lower than everybody else. When we think of submission as a whole, we can think, okay, it's pretty easy to submit to God because God created everything. God is above all. And we know that from scriptures that we read and growing up in the church, whatever our exposure is. Then you can start going down the line and it becomes a little bit easier to excuse ourselves from that. We can say, oh, we don't have to submit to the government because the government's corrupt. Well, you could probably say the government's always been corrupt. I don't have to submit to my brothers and sisters in Christ because they're no better than me. The list goes on and on. Now, I do think that we need to look at each other and we need to, it needs to be easier for us to build each other up. It needs to be easier to look at others and say, or think of them as better than ourselves and maybe even excuse them in sometimes, but I don't think we need to excuse them for everything because we, we still have other obligations to brothers and sisters in Christ. We still have to correct. We still have to build each other up. We still have to teach. But I do think one thing that we could probably all agree on is we all need to look at each other better. Uh, we all need to think of each other, sorry, um, much higher than what we probably do today. If you will, turn over to Luke 22, verses 39 through 42. For my last few minutes, I want to talk about uh, Christ as our example in submission. Luke 22, verses 39 through 42. And he came out and went, and as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into, into temptation. And he's with, withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. This is a great example for multiple reasons. First off, it shows Christ's humanity. Um, and then what I mean by that um, is that he was God's son, and he was the perfect example of submission. But it also shows that sometimes submitting to God's will is not necessarily the thing we want to do. 
Because what do we see here? We went, he goes to his usual uh, praying place where he's used to going. He separates and he begs God, please let there be another way. Please let there be something else that can be done. But if you notice at the end, he says, not my will, but thine be done. Yes, he didn't want to do it. I think if you put many of us in that position, I think all of us would probably not want to do, this, uh, do what he did either. We don't want to die that cruel death that Christ suffered. And just like that, Christ didn't want to. And he begged. But what did he do after? We know that he left the garden and he, did, he submitted to what God wanted him to do. After this moment of solitude, he glorified God in the most ultimate way that we could probably think of. Even when he was dragging the cross uh, through the streets with his back torn to shreds, he didn't groan or moan about how much he hated doing this. He didn't talk about how, oh, if only we did it my way, it would be so much better. But y'all will never know. He didn't do that. He submitted to God's will because that was his main purpose. It was glorifying God. So if it came down to it and we were put in a similar situation, would we die for the cause of Christ? Could we humble ourselves enough to do something like that? Hebrews 5 verses 7 through 9. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard and was heard and that he feared though he were a son yet learned he obedience by things which he suffered and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him it was through the submission of Christ that he became the very thing that we are so thankful for today the way to salvation our hope our mediator whatever title you want to use he learned obedience. He learned submission through the things that he suffered in, his, in this life. Submission to God or to any of the other things that we've talked about tonight is not something that we just do one day. It says Christ learned submission. If Christ had to learn it, we're going to have to learn it too. We're not born with the ability to do that. We all know that to be human is to have shortcomings, and the scriptures remind us of that time and time again. Now, we've all fallen short, but part of learning that submission is learning to overcome those failures. To submit takes work. It takes application, and that's probably the thing that we fall short of the most. We may know it in a knowledge standpoint, but do we apply it like we need to? That's the part that we need to hone in probably the most to better our lives. To strengthen the areas that we are weak in, to reinforce the areas that we might be strong in already. We have to work for it. And while we may fall short one time, uh, we have a hard time submitting and doing things that God wants us to do because we just moan and groan the whole time. We can't just accept that we have to do something. That doesn't make us a failure. That just means we need to improve. That means we need to continue to work. We need to find a more effective process of making it work. 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? 
But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were, we, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who is also who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness." By those by whose stripes you were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I love what it tells us in verse twenty. At the beginning, it's talking about masters and that we're to submit to them, whether it be right, whether they be a good master or a wrong, uh, uh, evil one. But it says, if we sin or if we fail and we're punished for that, what good is it to take it patiently? What glory is there in that? But what if we were to suffer for doing something that was good and we still suffered for it, we were still punished for it, and then we were to remain patient? That that's pleasing to God. Because Christ did all of that for us. He was punished for things he didn't do. He wasn't accepted for who he was. And people were always looking for something to punish him. And they finally got their wish for it in the end. And he did that all willingly. He took that all upon himself. He knew God's will, and he, but he had to do his part of it, and he knew that. And part of that was submission to it. Otherwise, where would, he, where would we be, and what kind of hope would we have if Christ decided to turn away from God's will, if he decided not to do his part? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27 through 28. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under, his, under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, and put all things under him, that God may be all in all. God is above all. His will is above all. We like to think that we are higher in stature than we are, and we think of that in many areas of our lives. But what does the scripture say? It'll tell you that God resists the proud. The only way that we achieve what it means to submit, we have to bring ourselves lower, we have to be humble, and accept God's will above our own. In closing, I'd like to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as Christ did, or if we submit to God's will as Christ did, we have fellowship with one another, and we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. This is what we're after, isn't it? We want to be like Christ, we want to walk in the light like Christ, and we want to be where Christ is. And hopefully... We understand what submission is and we understand what it takes to get to this point, at least in uh, a part of the puzzle anyway. That's all I've prepared for tonight. Um, We never like to close without uh, offering the invitation. If there be one who has a need of the church, whether it be they have a struggle, they need prayers, or if there be someone who wishes to be baptized at this time, we can assist one of either class. Please come as